through 9 is where we're going to be today. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. Unfortunately for us, hopelessness is a reality in much of the world. We look around and we see war, we see disease, depression is a reality, despair is a reality. And this time of year seems to exacerbate those feelings, especially after the year that we've had. We're coming to the end of 2020 and it's been a rough year, but this time of year it just seems to really exacerbate for some people the hopelessness, the reality of hopelessness. Whether you've lost a loved one, you've lost a job, you feel overwhelming loneliness, you feel lost or forgotten, this time of year can be hard. But we're told by the media and we're told by people around us that this is the most joyous time of year, that this should be the happiest time of the year. But let me ask you, what if it's not? What if it's not the happiest time of year? What if you feel angry? What if you feel confused? What if you feel isolated or hopeless? You see, the world, when they say it's the happiest time of year, what do they mean? It's a time to receive gifts, to give gifts, and those are good things, but they're only temporary, right? There's only a happiness when you open that box and you get that perfect gift, right? How happy are you? How long are you happy with that perfect gift? Well, if you're my kids, about an hour, right? They're happier happier with the box or the wrapping paper more than they are the gift itself. So the joy of opening those presents and the joy of the peace and love being surrounded by family, it's a fleeting thing. It's fleeting and those things will never satisfy your soul. Even though they're good, they're never going to make you feel whole. They will all pass away. But there is one who comes to bring a permanent hope, a permanent joy, a permanent peace. And he came to save. He came to, so that you don't have to feel hopeless, that you don't have to feel lonely, that you don't have to feel forgotten or alone. You are known, you are seen, and you are loved by the God of this universe. You are known, seen, and loved by the God of this universe so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to come and sacrifice himself on the cross so that we could have a relationship with him. God knows you. God sees you. God loves you. In Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9, this is the main idea that we're going after. Jesus Christ came as the perfect servant to bring a perfect hope to a broken world. And Jesus does this through bringing about justice, and a new creation. Jesus is about bringing hope to those who feel hopeless, to those who feel broken, through providing for them a way to become new. Through providing them a way to be new. Now, I said that Jesus brings hope through justice. We all have an idea of what justice is. right? We all have an idea. And, and from the time you start talking You know what justice is. This isn't fair. One of my kids' favorite phrases. This isn't fair. This isn't how things are supposed to be. 
How come he can do that and I can't? Why isn't this fair? But usually our feelings of justice, they are completely wrapped up in what we think and what we have opinions about. They're completely wrapped up in my own idea of what it should look like. Our view of justice can be too narrow. Our view of justice can be too self-serving. Our view of justice is limited by our own perspective. The problem is, too often we want justice based on what we think is good and what we think is evil. However, our ever-changing definitions of good and evil lead to a corrupt or incomplete justice. We know that the world cares about justice. We can just turn on our TV and see that we are fascinated by this idea of justice. Whether we see it in an episode of NCIS or CSI or we read a book about true crime or we listen to the radio and people, you know, Unsolved Mysteries, Paul Harvey, remember that? We want justice for those unsolved mysteries. But in our context, we generally love not a full picture of justice, but we want what is called retributive justice. We want retribution for a wrong. We want somebody to be punished when they, or corrected when they do something wrong. So you're driving down the street, somebody zooms past you and cuts you off. What are you thinking? I hope there's a cop up there, that they get them, right? That that they see what just happened. Or somebody takes something from you, steals from you. You're like, I'll just throw them in jail. I just don't want them around. Or if they hurt you, You want to hurt them. It's all about retribution. And there is a place for that type of justice. But that's not the only type of justice. God is in the business of justice. And we'll see that in just a minute when we get into the text. But God's idea of justice is different than our idea of justice. Surely he's going to repay evil for evil. But the justice that God seeks is greater than mere retribution. God is interested in restorative justice, in wholeness, and in completeness. God's justice is based on what he declares to be right and wrong. God's justice is based upon his character, his perfect and holy, incorruptible character. God wants to restore like we talked about last week, what is broken. God wants to heal the human heart. God wants justice, and his justice is grace-filled. His justice offers an opportunity for and an avenue for forgiveness. No matter how bad or how wrong something is, God is in the business of forgiveness. God is in the business of extending grace. And that's what Isaiah is writing about here in chapter 42, especially in verses 1 through 4. And we're going to look at it. See, justice in this text is mentioned three times in these four short, short verses. So we know that God cares about justice. He begins in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. He says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make, his, make it heard in the street. He, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully 
bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. God is sending one, he's sending one, Jesus Christ, to fix what is broken. Now, we see that he is a servant. And what does that mean? It means that he's going to bring about and do the will of the Father. That he's going to accomplish his purposes. That he's going to do what he, that God the Father has set out before him. He has no agenda, no desire, and no other plan outside of the perfect plan of God the Father. Now, before we get too far in this text, before I get too far into the sermon, I want you to know that this exact phrasing in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1 through 4, is repeated and spoken of, of Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, 18 through 21. Okay? So this is all about Jesus. Jesus is the perfect servant who is sent to establish justice. He is chosen by God to do the will of God because Jesus is God. He is the only one elected and able to accomplish and establish the justice that the Father desires. And the Father delights in Jesus, in the work of Jesus, because Jesus, like the Father, is grace-filled, He offers forgiveness, he's forgiveness-focused, and he's perfectly aligned with the Father's mission. And here's some really good news. This Isaiah was written to the Israelites, but what does Isaiah say in this? It's not just for the Israelites, this is also for everybody. To the nations, he's going to bring justice to the nations, justice for everyone, justice for all people. And he does this through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? That Jesus is empowered through the Holy Spirit to do the mission. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are working in perfect harmony to set to rights that which has been broken, that which is cursed, that which is unjust. Together, they are accomplishing and restoring all that is fractured. This begins as a promise in Isaiah chapter 42 and is inaugurated. It starts at the birth of the sent one, Jesus Christ. Jesus lives a sustained, upheld, and empowered life doing the will of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. In Matthew 3, chapter six, or Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17, we see this. So this is a picture of what God is saying here. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So this picture comes to fruition when Jesus is at his baptism. So Jesus is going to bring about a perfect justice to all peoples, to all that is broken of the earth through the harmony with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he is going to restore what is broken. What will this bringing of justice look like? Well, Isaiah tells us in uh, the following verses, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. 
Is Jesus going to come with some sort of bravado? Is he going to come with worldly might? Is he going to try and establish justice like other kings and rulers of this world? No, he's not. He doesn't come in bravado. He doesn't need to convince you of how right and how mighty and how great he is with a giant presence. You see, we look at people in authority today and we see big personalities in positions of power and they try to wield their personalities as weapons for their, against their enemies. And how does that work out? It may work for a little while, but this type of boastfulness and overconfidence can be seen as overcompensating for what is lacking. So unlike all the other kings and rulers, he will not be violent or aggressive. He will not be loud or pushy. He establishes his kingdom not through might, but through service and humility. Jesus establishes his kingdom through sacrifice. So Jesus is coming in power, but he isn't going to be loud about it. His very presence makes him known. How often do we read in the Gospels that Jesus is just walking through and people are clamoring to get towards him? Not because he's screaming out with a cowbell in the middle of the street calling people, right? But just because he is who he is. So his very presence radiates goodness, holiness, and rightness. He is the very embodiment of patient endurance, humility, and steadfastness. He doesn't need to overcompensate with swagger. Instead, he walks with what I would like to call a holy swagger, one that he is confident in who he is because he has a mission set before him. And he's going to complete that mission because the Father had sent him and he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't need to prove to anyone how big and powerful and mighty he is because his very presence emanates that. People notice Jesus not because of a loud rebellion or a cocky attitude or braggadocious claims. They notice him because of his willingness to love and to serve and to preach and teach truth and have compassion on people. People notice him because of who he is and what he does. We see in Isaiah 42 verse 3, we see this, and this is, should be super comforting, comforting for us. A bruised Read, he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Now this is poetic language, but what it's saying is that a bruised reed and a faintly burning wick represent those who are broken and abused, those who are sick and those who are hurting, those who are outcast from the society, those who are viewed as worthless and unlovable, those who are without hope. He isn't coming to destroy the weak. He's not coming to hurt people. He's coming to restore them, to bring them hope. Other kings want to look at the broken. Other people want to look at the broken and those who feel hopeless and say, Look, what can I do to smush them out? What can I do to stomp all over them? Jesus is saying, no, I'm coming to lift them up. He implements his justice by caring for the oppressed and the suffering. That's how he comes. He, if you are suffering, he offers you hope. If you are depressed, he offers you hope. If you are at the end of your rope, he extends his hand and offers you hope. He says, I am here. 
One commentator says it this way, no one is unworthy of help. No one will be treated harshly or as unimportant or expendable. Jesus loves people. Jesus cares about people. He cares about the outcast. He cares about the hurting. He cares about the depressed. He cares about those who feel isolated and alone because they are valuable. And he says they're valuable because he created them in his image and he cares about them. He cares for them because he loves them. He comes in meekness and love to bring justice to those who are crushed by injustices. He comes to put right all that is wrong. He does so through comfort and care, through love and compassion. When you are about to break, Jesus brings you comfort. You are not just a number. You're not a nameless face. You're cherished and loved by the one true king. He loves you and he cares about you. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 4. He will not excuse me, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. His justice will continue until it's completed. He's not going to give up. He is not going to be overwhelmed by the amount of justice that needs to be established. If we just took a moment to reflect on just our community, and we thought about all of those who are outcast, or all those who are depressed, or all those who have illnesses, or all those who need justice for whatever wrong has happened to them, and we thought about tackling those problems immediately, In our small community, we would start to get overwhelmed. We thought about all the brokenness. And just think about that. Our small community, we would be overwhelmed with the brokenness. But Jesus comes and he reassures us that until justice is completely established, he's never going to get discouraged. He's never going to get overwhelmed. Why? Because his will and his purpose is always going to be accomplished. His plans will always come to completion. He will not be thwarted, and he will succeed because he is empowered by God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and himself to succeed. His mission is going to continue until it's complete. And he will establish his perfect law across all the earth, the law of love and devotion to our neighbors. Jesus uses his followers So those of us who are followers of Jesus, he uses us to accomplish this mission, right? He empowers us with the Holy Spirit to, and has commissioned us to make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28. All people need to hear about the goodness and the grace that God has for them and the justice that he is going to establish. And why do people need to hear about that? Because God is making for himself a new creation, God, Jesus brings hope through a new creation. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 5 through 9. Let's read those together. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on, on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and, and keep you. I will give you 
you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and the new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Jesus is bringing about a new creation. And he does that through the power of God. See, this section begins with a declaration. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. This is speaking because God is speaking with authority. He has authority because he is the one who created them. And when the creator of all things is speaking, we better listen up. He has something important to say. And he never minces his word, right? He reminds us of his power and of his glory. He reminds us that he is the creator and we are the created. He gives us life, he brings justice, and he sustains all things. We can't limit God no matter how much we try. We can't limit God no matter how much we try. So I want to be a little transparent with you real quick. There's the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. When I first was thinking about this before this month began, I was thinking, all right, God, what do you want us to do? for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Like, how much do you want us to commit to giving to this offering? And I'll tell you, the first number that popped in my mind was $2,000. And I thought, God, that's, that's too much. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if we can do that. I, I don't know if we can do that. So I was like, okay, well, I'll give us a little bit of grace. I'll give us a little bit of wiggle room, and I'll shoot for $1,500, which I think $2,000 is like the most y'all have ever given in recent history anyway, right? Um, and so... I was trying to limit God. I was putting constraints on God. And what happens when we do that? We don't realize the power. We forget about who he is, right? We forget about who he is. And he says, no, I'm the God who created the heavens and the earth. I stretched it out. Nothing is too big for me. I'll tell you what, God showed up, right? He's like, Josh, I just want you to know that you've got to rely on me. You've got to have faith in me. And so I was spoken to, and I continue to be spoken to about that. But he gives life and spirit and breath to those who inhabit the earth because he is a kind, loving, compassionate God. He establishes his care and compassion for people. He cares for them because he creates and sustains them, and he provides for them life. You see, life and breath, they are gifts, right? We don't deserve them. But God gives them to his creation. And because he is the giver of life, he is the ruler of life, and he has sympathy and empathy for his creation. His sympathy and care for creation is why he wants to establish his justice. He doesn't enjoy seeing hurting. He doesn't enjoy seeing pain. He doesn't enjoy seeing this, and that's why he wants to establish his justice on the earth. In, four, in six, verses 6 through 7, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, 
a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the darkness of the dungeon, for the prison who sit, from the prison who sit in darkness. Here we see that this servant, Jesus Christ, is called by the Father to bring about perfect justice in the world, and he is going to do that through a new covenant. Now, for those of you who don't know, a covenant is like a strong and unbreakable promise that is made. And it's usually one-sided. It's a promise that God makes to his people that I'm going to establish and I am going to do. And I am going to do this stuff regardless of how you act. So God has given several covenants up till now. He gave a covenant of works to Adam. He gave a covenant of the Mosaic covenant to Moses. He gave a covenant to David that through your line I will establish my kingdom. He's given covenants, but now he's given a new covenant. A covenant of new creation. That I'm going to establish a new covenant where you're going to receive grace and mercy. Where I'm going to send Jesus Christ to do something that hasn't been done before. This new covenant is going to bring light into a dark world. This new covenant is going to bring power into a dark world. God is committed, empowered, and purposeful in completing his promises. In this darkness, it's going to be penetrated by light. And that light is Jesus Christ. The perfect servant is coming to fulfill the promise that God has made. He's going to bring light into the darkest chambers of the heart. He is going to shine a light to the evil world He is going to use light to set free those who are held in bondage to darkness. I saw this uh, tweet earlier this week, and I think it expresses this so clearly. It says, light exposes truth. It reveals both beauty and horror. The clean and filthy truth always calls what is exposed by its right name. Light penetrates the darkness. Light penetrates the darkness. And that's why John in in, uh, chapter 1 of his gospel talks about Jesus being the light of the world. That he's going to shine a light on all the wickedness, all the corruption, all the things that are wrong with the world he's going to expose. And that's the job of light is to expose the wrongs and reveal the truth. And the truth is that we are all broken. That we are all in need of transformation. We are all unholy, wicked, and unclean in the sight of God. We are stained by sin. The sin of pride, the sin of lust, the sin of greed, the sin of selfishness. You name it, we're stained by it. But Jesus brings light to expose that. It exposes us for who we really are, for how we have failed. But it also reveals to us the way to be cleansed. The way to be cleaned, it reveals to us how we can be made right, how the filthiness can be washed away. It reveals to us the truth of God's servant, that Jesus came to set us free, that he came to bring justice, that he came to save those who are lost. He comes to restore, to transform, and to bring hope to those in the dungeon of despair. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we're going to read this together because I think it's going to sum it up really well. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom 
all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, God is making a people for himself. He is transforming those who are broken and hopeless to kingdom citizens. That he is creating a new creation to serve him, to help spread his justice across the earth. And that is why he came. And that is why Christmas exists. Christmas exists because Jesus came. The last two verses of this section in in Isaiah, it says this, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and the new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So when Isaiah wrote this, these things had not happened yet. But God had already said they're going to. I'm telling you, he doesn't say that the old, former things will pass and the new things are, are going to come. He says, no, the former things have already come to pass because in God's perspective, it's already happened. Right? In God's idea, it's already happened. See, God is about God's business. He's about God's glory and he's about God's mission. He's about all of him. And that mission began with Jesus Christ, not on Christmas Day when he was born, but in the eternity past. This was always the plan. Jesus Christ wasn't an, uh uh-oh, we've got to figure something out. This was always the plan. And we are called to aid him in the mission of establishing justice. When we become followers of Jesus, our affections should change, our hearts should change, and we should want to be about the Father's business. And what is the Father's business? Well, I'm so glad you asked. His business is salvation, redemption, justice, love, and his kingdom, the establishment of his kingdom. When Jesus came, he inaugurated his new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of the Father. When he saves us, we are a new creation. The new is here when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Think about it this way. Genesis, we had the the six days of creation and the seventh day God rested. Well, at Jesus' resurrection, the eighth day of creation began where God is recreating people for himself, that he is bringing to life and making a new creation to expand his kingdom of grace and love to the world. 
He brings life to that which is dead. He brings life to that which is broken. Jesus' birth was the beginning and his resurrection offers us new life. And in this new life, we should partake in kingdom building. We should tell others the good news of the gospel, that, that there is a new life, that God wants you to be a new creature. We glorify God when we participate in his mission. When we proclaim the grace that was given to us, we glorify the king. That is our mission, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. We are not to be mere spectators about the work that God is doing, but we are to participate in the grace that we have received. That is how we spread hope to a hopeless world. That is how we restore the broken. That is how we bring about God's justice is by proclaiming his message. The reality is, no matter how many man-made laws we have, no matter how much we try to legislate morality, it's never going to be whole. It's never going to be complete. It's never going to overcome the law of love that God writes on our hearts when he changes us into a new creation. In order to get people to behave the way we want to, we've got to change their hearts. We've got to have their hearts changed by the gospel. People will not completely be transformed outside of the power of the gospel. People will not, will not feel the fullness of hope, the fullness of joy, the fullness of peace or love outside of hearing the good news of the gospel. We need to spread it. We need to live it, and we need to let others know how it transformed us. That I was once dead, but now I am alive. And if you have been transformed by the gospel, live it, love it, and tell others about it. And if you haven't been transformed by the gospel, Jesus came to save you. He came to offer you hope, you peace, you love and joy. And he wants you to be his. He wants you to know his goodness. And he's calling out to you. Will you answer him? We're about to go into a time of invitation where we're going to sing a song of love to God. And I pray that you would reflect upon your own relationship with Jesus. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to open up your word. Lord, that we look at this promise that happened 700 plus years before Jesus was born, and that we see the fullness of the new life that you've given us. Lord, I pray that we would be bold in telling other people about the goodness and the glory of who you are, that you love people, that you care about people, and that you transform people because you are a God for the people. Father God, thanks for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.